Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Well, let me start off by saying this. It's good to be home. Uh, We've gone for two weeks, and um, I just wanted to thank Pastor Brian and Miss Leah for uh, doing everything that they did while we were gone. Um, It's... You know, it's kind of hard to put in words, but just how appreciative the Jen and I are of the fact that we could go away and not have to worry about anything because we knew it was in good hands. So, um, anyway, it's heard great things. Thank you guys very, very much for sharing your heart and uh, doing all that you do, being who you are, the amazing you. So, uh, also, I wanted to uh, just thank everybody that helped with uh, Women's Conference, uh, the worship team, media team, all the guys that volunteered. Uh, you know, I, I was home watching kids. I got to come to one night, but I heard a lot of great things happen. So, guys, thank you very much. And uh, Miss Carol, we're kind of going, there's new people up here today. Uh, real quick, this is Carol and Paul Kasmarsik. Did I say your last name right? Did I say your last name right? Okay. So... Uh, ladies that were here, you guys uh, met Miss Carol. She did our women's conference, and this is uh, Jerry Cates. He is a pastor from uh, Norfolk, 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 depends on where you're from, Norfolk, uh, Virginia. Anyway, so I asked these guys to ask these guys to join me today because I thought, and, and just it'd be absolutely foolish to have these guys here with us today and not give them an opportunity. Uh, but I really feel like the Lord wants to say some things really clear to us today. And if I can maybe start off by saying this, uh, when, when prophetic people come, uh, you know, I'll I just say this, I'll use a biblical word. Uh, when seers come, what, what does a seer do? A seer sees what God wants to do in the kingdom. And so I, I, I call these guys, I've been uh, just kind of molding some things over since Thursday, but I called him yesterday and just said, hey, would you be willing to share and, and kind of share some things that you've seen, uh, you know, basically in this region. Jerry's been coming for how many years? 40 years to this region praying over it. And these guys, it's what, your third year, I think, up here? In fact, Miss Carol was one of the first people that knew sitting in our living room in North Carolina that I said, hey, Carol, I think God wants us to move to North Carolina. And she basically said something along the lines, honey, uh, go, you know, basically I'd move there tomorrow. So it was good. So anyway, so we're glad that they're here. Um, let's pray. But I want to say one thing before we get going. Um, I feel like I need to tell you this. I think we'll maybe we'll pray along these lines in a bit. But, but a, a church that doesn't pray is a defeated church. So part of, I think, my hope today is that there would be a shift within our hearts that we would become uh, a more active and maybe a more uh, proper word, more of a militant approach in, when it comes to prayer. Amen? Amen? Is that all right? So we're going to pray, and uh, I just encourage you to open your heart up, just whatever God wants to release in the house and release in your heart, release in your life and your home today, that you would receive it by faith. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've already done, and Lord, we know you're not finished. And so, Lord, we're just asking, God, that you would begin to stir our hearts today. God, stir our hearts with what's stirring your heart in this season, this hour, and this time for this region, for this place. So, Lord, you said in your word, he who has ears, 
let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And so, Lord, we just declare today that we have ears to hear. God, what you are saying. And Lord, we just don't hear and be hearers only. But Father, we declare that we will be doers of the word as well. And so Lord, today, would you just spark something in our heart, ignite a fire in our heart so we could run from this place. And uh, God, just even as it says in your word, that as that clarion calls, the trumpet call goes out, God, that we would respond to it out of obedience. In Jesus' name, we thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your presence, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, I want to start off by saying this. Um, Thursday morning, we were sitting in our house, and I was kind of, uh, maybe not the right word, but I was kind of multitasking. We had, we had some, um, basically, worship playing on YouTube in the house, and I was just quietly praying, and I was reading my Bible, and, and I was uh, basically creating a new prayer list on this new app that I downloaded on my phone. And while I was kind of doing that, I was thinking about a conversation that I had with these three guys uh, the night before, and kind of as I was just in my moment, kind of going back and forth and all of that, I felt like the Lord just bypassed it. He kind of interrupted everything that was going on in my mind, and he said two words to me, and I want to share that with you today. It's going to give us a little bit of direction, but the two words that I felt like he gave me were this, was divine confrontation, divine confrontation. You know, immediately my mind went to an old John Bevere quote that you've heard me say many times here in the church, but it's simply this, and we'll throw it up on the screen. It says, what you will not confront will not change. What you will not confront, which obviously confront is the root word in confrontation, what you will not confront will not change. Now, typically when I think about that quote, I think about it in the original context that John Bevere preached it, and it was simply this, that if an individual uh, basically doesn't confront or they don't meet face-to-face or they don't deal with their sin, then guess what? Then their situation or their heart will not change. So at the core of the message, what John was saying was this, as he was speaking to the, the passivity or the lack of awareness or the lack of activity when it comes to basically a believer's heart and their own spiritual condition and their own spiritual growth, their own spiritual development. But as I sat there, you know, kind of mulling that over, I realized that that's not what the Lord wanted me to see through that quote. I felt like he, he wanted me to apply that truth, apply that principle to a, a basically a greater picture. In other words, don't look at it just as an individual, but can I look at it through a, a broader lens, kind of look at it with a broader perspective and see that that's what God wants to do in a region, that that's what he wants to do in our culture. Are you with me? So to put it more plainly, I felt like the Lord was impressing this on my heart, that, that he was wanting us, his people, his church. We know that uh, the church isn't the building. The church is the people who come and gather in the building. Amen? So that he wants us as the church to begin to believe for, begin to expect, begin to pray for, begin to intercede for a divine confrontation to happen between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness in this region. Now, now, here's the key part. It's, it's in this region or this spiritual atmosphere, and I feel like this is super key today. It's in the spiritual atmosphere that we've become, that we have become so accustomed to living in. Now, I, I feel like if we, in other words, we can look at divine confrontation, but I feel like we need to put uh, just as much importance on the part of, going, of the fact that we have become accustomed to living in it. In other words, that that's significant today. And let me show you why. Uh, just kind of give you a brief example. You know, when I, when I moved to North Carolina, we're talking, you know, almost 20 years ago. I still remember like it was yesterday, the first time I ever uh, made eye contact with a prostitute. And there's a point here. Let me finish. I am not that kind of man. All right, here we go. Give you a little context here. All right, so... 
So I was asked to, I was asked, asked to, by one of our pastors in the church, he had a young man living with him, and they, they basically asked me to drop the young man off at his high school. Now, this young man did not go to uh, the typical high school that was in our area. He actually went to a charter school. And this charter school was, was held basically in the wing of a hotel. And the, so one wing was the high school. The other wing of this hotel was operating as a hotel. And so I dropped the young man off. We're talking like 7.30, 7.45 in the morning. See you, bud. Have a great day. And I went to go around the building. As I'm driving around the building, a person uh, from my left in my peripheral vision kind of caught my attention on the second floor of the building. And I turned and I looked and I made eye contact with this woman. And, and you know, once again, not to be weird, not to be exaggerant, but all I can say is this, is the way uh, that her... Uh, um, her basically her body movement, the look in her eyes, everything in there was basically a demonic, seductive spirit. It was a spirit of lust, and and so there's that side where if I get you know once again without getting weird here, that basically was like she was bidding me to come. I'm like it's 7:45 in the morning, right? I'm like I'm hardly awake, and this woman's already doing her thing at 745, but so basically she's giving me this look, and here's what was really in my heart. If you can throw that scripture at Proverbs, I knew this. Proverbs says, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. What a word, huh? But all I can say is, is for a country boy from Alabama, um, that had never experienced anything like that before, uh, it totally freaked me out, okay? In in the sense of this, it was like everything on the inside of me began to shake. It was almost like there was a moral earthquake happening in my heart, and literally for weeks and weeks and weeks, I carried that feeling. Am I making sense to you guys? So here's the point that I want to make to you, though. Here's what happened. Over time, after living in that city for 14 years, uh, slowly but surely seeing the random prostitute working the corner in our town, and there was plenty of them, but when I would see them years later, guess what? It didn't move me. It didn't grieve my heart like it once did when I first made eye contact with that woman. Y'all follow me? See, what happened is, is, you know, I'd see them, and sure, there was times I'd pray for them. There was times in our Saturday night prayer meeting where I was asked to kind of close at the end that I would pray for those women. And it was kind of birthed off that woman that I saw at the balcony of where God grieved my heart because this woman's lost, right? She's a devil's run, uh, running her life. And so anyways, I, I think it's this, that, that, you know, after a while, after seeing them, I became accustomed to seeing them around town. And unknowingly what happens, I began to accept it and what they did as normal. So it's sad to say this, but many times when we've either grown up in the area or we've lived there for a while, I think it's really easy to become so desensitized, so immune, so conditioned, and even passive towards the spiritual condition and the spiritual darkness, the spiritual oppression, and an area that we do this, that we stop believing for a divine confrontation to happen. This may be totally off base, but yesterday while I was praying, I just felt like... I felt like the Lord laid this in my heart, that, that part of the evidence or the proof of this happening, in other words, of, of believers becoming passive towards the spiritual condition of our area, uh, proof of that is this, is that there's some Christians in our area, not all, but some, that they're more upset with the church, get that, that they are more upset with the church for what it isn't than they are about the kingdom of darkness that's oppressing people's lives. 
So in other words, that if you go and you, you, know, you meet a Christian around town, whatever, uh, what comes up is not that they're grieved about the condition. They're just ticked off at the church. Right? That shows that we have become passive and desensitized for everything that's around. And if I can use, uh, I, I, I actually don't feel like I have the right wording for this. But, so give me a lot of grace here. But it's almost like there's a disdain for the church, but there's a compassion, and that's why I'm not so sure it's the right word, a compassion for the kingdom of darkness. Does that make sense? And unfortunately it's this, and this is just what I wrote down, that, they, that those people foolishly believe that their stance towards the church somehow pleases God. And somehow that it makes them more effective to the people that are in the world. And I want you to know it doesn't. That attitude, what it does is it brings division. And it's this, that it, that, and the reason is because it separates them from the power source. To understand that, that their heart and their, and their disdain for the church is actually separating them from the power source, which is found in the unity that comes through the body of Christ. Whether we all know that Jesus is the head, and it's really this, that we, can't live, that we cannot live separate from the body and still think that we're going to walk in the fullness of God. You know, if we think that, all we need to do is read Ephesians 2. It says that in him is the fullness that fulfills all in all. Right? So if we're going to walk in fulfillment, we've got to be connected to all of us. And not be ticked off at all of us. Right? So, get back on point. I think when we become a customer, we become passive towards darkness. Inevitably, we do this. We lose sight of who people can be and what they were created to be or who they were created to be. Let me give you an example today. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, but I'm going to read out a New Living Translation. This is Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I've preached from this passage before, but I want to kind of go a little bit different angle here today. Some of the same things, but some of it will be different. If you're there, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It says this in verse 46. Says then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed them. I think the New King James says that they went in Jericho and then they went out. Okay, it says a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, "Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, or have pity on me." And then it says in verse 48, the people said, be quiet. Me and the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up. They said, come on, he is calling you. Verse 50 says, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Bartimaeus said, my rabbi, I want to see. In verse 52, it says, and Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. All right, backtrack here. There's a few things I want you to see. According to theologians, they believe that one out of every four people that lived in Jericho during this time period were blind due to poor uh, sanitation. And uh, I was talking to Jerry yesterday, and I didn't have a chance to look this up. We had a it's like the floodgates opened up and 100 people came to my house yesterday. But, um, and then they asked me, what do I want to do? Uh, I don't know. Um, but, but he said this, that part of, uh, once again, I have a chance to research it, so don't bank on this. Don't, don't hold us accountable to it. But, but that part of it was this, is that, uh, that after with Jericho, basically, that there was a curse put on the city. So it's part of it. 
And, and I think that's significant because we live in a town where there's been so demonic, so much demonic stuff that's happened that there's curses that's on the city. Curses that we are called to break. Okay? So, anyway, so one out of every four. Now watch this. So theologians also believe that there were 100,000 people that lived in Jericho in this time. So, if, if just simply by doing the math, that, that means that 25,000 blind people lived in Jericho. That's insane. So, as you can expect, I, I think it's this. Once again, we're just kind of pointing out a few simple things, not trying to make something uh, intense here. But I think, as you can expect, the other 75,000 seeing people that were fine, guess what? That over time, that those guys had to learn to become accustomed to seeing blind people. In other words, that they had to learn how to function. They had to learn to live in the midst of everybody. So, I think it's possible that they became passive towards them. Am I making sense? It's almost like for you guys that have lived in a big city, you know what it's like to have the guy begging for money and just stroll right on by him. Right? In other words, there's a, there's a thing in your heart that becomes passive towards him, and you just go, whatever, man. Right? So anyways, it's the same thing. And, and I think this, that part of the, maybe the proof that these guys have become passive is, is how they responded to Bartimaeus when he began to call out for Jesus. So I, I think because they were, once again, used to seeing blind people, that they lost sight of who Bartimaeus could be and who he was created to be. Now, this is significant here, okay? Um, I, I, I'm the kind of guy I love the details in the Bible. I think the fun stuff in the Bible is hidden in the details. So the name Bartimaeus, it actually comes from two words. It comes from Bar and Timaeus which obviously it says Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, okay? So the word bar there simply means son of. So it's no different than uh, people. We have a, 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 we have a whole line of Thompsons on the front row today. There's a good handful of them, okay? So Thompson simply means this, son of Thomas. Johnson means son of John. Richardson means son of Richard. Robinson, son of Robin. You're getting the point. So when it comes to the basic bar, Timaeus, it just means the son of Timaeus, but Timaeus is where the key's at in this verse, because Timaeus actually means honor. The name, so here's a guy that when you put it all together, his name, his identity, his calling from God is to be a son of honor. But yet here's the son of honor the Bible. We don't have a clue, but how long this guy's been sitting there begging. And I don't know about you, but this is my opinion. I'm not so sure if there's anything more dishonoring than sitting on a corner with a lack of vision, a lack of purpose, and sitting there that you've got to beg and you've got to plead for somebody to somehow sustain you in life. Am I making sense? But yet, here's what's so awesome about this is, once again, the Bible doesn't tell us how long. uh, But once again, one day Jesus walks by him, and all it took was one, get this, one divine confrontation for him to become the son of honor that he was called to be. Pretty awesome, yeah? So I want you to think about something for a second. When we, when we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was Jesus' life not one of complete confrontation? See, so much the Bible says this, and this is just kind of laying down a foundation so these guys can do what they want to do. But listen to these verses here. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God, Jesus, was manifest, revealed, the reason he came, that he might destroy, or if I could add there, that he might confront the works of the devil. Acts 10, 38 says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about confronting or doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You know, a few examples of this would be, would be these things. That Jesus had a divine confrontation with the uh, demon-possessed men in the tomb. Is that not correct? 
Yes. In other words, the guy that had the legion, right? The demons cast out and went to pigs. Did Jesus not have a divine confrontation with the spirit of death at Lazarus' tomb? Yes. Did Jesus not have a divine confrontation with the spirit of religion in the temple when he flipped tables and declared that my house shall be called a house of prayer? Yes. Or my father's house. Did Jesus not have a divine confrontation with the woman who was caught in adultery? Right? Cast first stone, fellas. Right? Did Jesus not have a divine confrontation when he interrupted the funeral service where he saw a mom grieving and he literally stopped it and basically laid hands on the boy in the casket and he came back to life? You know, did Jesus not have a divine confrontation with a woman at the well? Yes. But I want you to notice something here, and this is really important. I want you to grab a hold of this. Because so often we think that a divine confrontation has to happen with some massive crowds of people. But most of the time when you look at the Gospels, it happened one person at a time. But here's what's so significant, and do not miss this, because God, uh, God knows how to find people of influence. Go back and look at Saul, who became Paul, a very influential man. And, and obviously his life was one of confrontation. But to think about it this way, that here it is that, that this divine confrontation happened one, purpose at a, one person at a time. And so what happened is, here's this guy who's been living in the tombs, cutting himself, breaking chains, all these things. He gets delivered. He gets free. And then what happens? He says, can I follow you? Jesus said, no, go back to the capitalist city of ten, ten cities, right? That's what the capitalist means. So go back there. And what happened? Revival. Right? So here's the woman at the well, and Jesus has this word of knowledge. Hey, uh, basically, the man you're living with, hey, you've had five husbands. The man you're living with now, he's not your husband. She says, oh, my gosh. She went to the town and said, what? Come and see. That's revival. Right? So God has a way, once again, of causing momentum to bring revival. But once again, it happens one person at a time having divine confrontation with you. Amen? So why was Jesus always confronting situations? This is key. Do not, do not, do not miss this. If you miss this, you're going to miss what they're about to say. The reason Jesus was always finding himself in confronting situations is because of this. It's because he had a vision. See, the Bible says something really important. It says this, that Jesus only, somebody say only, that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. To understand that he saw or he had a vision of what his father desired to do for the people that he created. Are you guys following me here? In other words, there's people in this town that, guess what? Every single person in this town, that God has a desired purpose for their life. Yes? And so it's up to us to see what the Father wants to do in their lives. Because when we begin to see what the Father wants to do in their lives, guess what happens? It gives us a vision. Am I making sense? And that vision... Is what? It allows us to see once again what God desires and that vision propels us forward in a, in a God direction into God's way of doing things, which enables us to work toward or obtain God's, God's desired results for our region. Yes? So here, here's the thing, though. Watch this. Don't make the mistake of think that it's the same thing for everybody because it's not. God's personal. So as you go about, guess what? It's, it's personal things that God wants to do in individuals. It's personal divine confrontations. I'm making sense to you guys. And that's why it's so important that, you, you know, let me say this, and this may sound super strong and it may be even wrong. Jerry will correct me later in the back office. All right, here we go. Is, <laughs> they're like, no, not really. It, it's, it's this. I, you know, what the, what the spirit of religion tries to do and legalism, it tries to lump everybody in one big old category. And it just hates them. Because it can't decipher between the person and their sin. Right? That God hates their sin, but he loves the person. And so what's so, happen- you know, what's so key is that we, um, 
learn how to be spirit-led and we learn how to be people of prayer, learn how to be people of the Word so that when we go about, that we can actually hear the Father when He says, here's what I want to do in that individual's life. Yes? Does that make sense? So, you know, grab a hold of this today. Um, it, is, it is our... In fact, just say it's my responsibility. Thank you for all seven of you. Say it's my responsibility. Listen, it's our responsibility as the church to confront the kingdom of darkness. Listen to me. It is not the Rotary Club if we even have one of those. Okay? It's not their responsibility. It is not, uh, it's not the Chamber of Commerce. It is not the town commissioner. It's not the mayor. It's not the government, local government that's set up here to confront the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because they are not assigned to it. They're not called to it. They're not equipped to it. We are called. We are equipped. We are the ones connected to the power source to hear from God and to go do it. We've been anointed for the task. Even as I say that, I know many of us don't even believe that. Your face says it. We have to believe that we've been anointed by God. Listen, the Bible says that, that he pre-appointed our, the, basically the time we would live and the boundaries or the location we would live. He pre-appointed that. He brought some of us here, and guess what? Some of us were raised here, but for what? For his purpose. It's not so we could just enjoy the beautiful scenery, even though that's good. Let me give you one verse if you don't believe me. In fact, let me just ask you this. By a show of hands, really quick, how many guys believe that Jesus was called to divine confrontation? Anybody? Good, good. We got about 95% of you. Okay. Let me show you this verse. John 20, 21. Then Jesus said to us, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. Y'all didn't hear that, did you? (laughs) As the Father has sent me. In other words, he's saying the same way that God sent Father, God the Father sent God the Son. Guess what? That Jesus turns around now, he is sending us as his representative. Now, let's look once again how he sent him. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So let's read it like this. How Jesus in us with the Holy Spirit and with power. He anointed us, right, with the Holy Spirit and with power so we could go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil for God is with us. Do we have faith for that? Amen. So as I get ready to pass the stick, here's what I want us to do. Let me say this because it keeps coming back. Maybe it'll be a simple analogy. I, I remember after we were living here maybe about, I don't know, maybe like a year. I was driving down um, Route 17. And one day I had to, like, I, I was driving to work and I almost had to, like, shake myself to go, Quentin, remember the beauty. Because I was getting so... Uh, with everything that was going on here, and that's all I could think about. So I was driving, and my mind was just, I was stressed out, just thinking about all that stuff. And I had to go, man, look around. It's gorgeous. And, and so sometimes I think because we're so in it, we forget to look around. But here's some guys that, guess what, they come here and they look around. That I'm amazed by how many people say it's so easy to hear from God in Maine. And we come and we're like, God, we, can we go somewhere else to hear from God? <laughs> it's true. But so, so what I want to do is, uh, is I want to hand the, hand the mic to Mr. Jerry, and I, and I just simply ask him this. Tell us what you see, what you feel in your heart like God wants to do in this area. And I'm doing this because I want us to have a fresh vision. I want us to have a fresh understanding of what God wants to do. I want, I want God to stir something, to awaken something in our hearts. Amen?
Praise the Lord. Uh, my name is Jerry Cates. I am uh, very close friends with Bill and Sue Woodrow. Uh, in 1979, uh, Bill called me to come and meet him at a business, and uh, he told me what he was doing with his life. He was in a small group of disciples that I was beginning to help, uh, and uh, he said, you're going to be my best friend, and you're going with me to Maine this summer. <laughs> and Bill is from Belfast. His true native son Graduated from Belfast High, was a lobsterman, worked in the sawmills, has done the whole thing, worked his way through college, and then moved south where the true anointing is. Uh, learned some things, but God sent him back in his older age back to Maine. He and his wife would not have moved back to Maine, but God sovereignly moved in their life and moved them back to Maine. And aren't we glad that they're here? Hallelujah. And it's good for me because I get to come see them every year, and sometimes two times a year. Forty years I have been praying over this region. Uh, I am a man of prayer. Uh, I'm a prophet in the Lord's church, and uh, the greatest ministry of the prophets is not to prophesy. The greatest ministry of the prophets is to pray. The people said to Samuel the prophet, don't stop praying for us. And Samuel said, far be it from me that I should ever cease to pray for you. The primary ministry of the church is a ministry of prayer. And uh, most people, when they think of prayer, they think, you know, constipated. I'm in the trenches. Oh, this is really hard. Oh, this is boring. Forty-five more minutes to go. Oh, my God. You know. But it says in the book of Isaiah, I'm just going to read this verse to you. And I've only got five minutes, so you hold me accountable. He says... The sons of the foreigners will join themselves to the Lord to serve him. Verse 6 of Isaiah 56. To love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. And then it says this. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Let's say that phrase together. Joyful in my house of prayer. Prayer is supposed to be fun. All right. Now, I was in Quentin's office earlier and... uh, I came across a book. And this is his book, and I promise I'm giving it right back. It's called The Circle Maker, a man named Mark Batterson in Washington, D.C. This man was a young minister wanting to affect Washington, D.C. How many of you know that might be a hard place to do the work of the Lord? Strong demon powers in place in Washington, D.C., okay? Yeah, if you're a Democrat, it's all those Republicans, and if you're a Republican, it's all those Democrats. (laughs) Full of demons. But this man began to walk in a four-mile circle around Capitol Hill. Today, he has seven venues, including a cool coffee house called Ebenezer's, on that four-mile circuit. Every one of his venues is on the circuit that he walked for several years. I live in a 10-bedroom house in Norfolk, Virginia, on Colonial Avenue, uh, in the heart of Ghent, the old Uh, district in Virginia. We have 4,000 houses built before 1940 there, almost as old as Maine. And uh, so uh, I began to prayer walk a street. I bought an old fraternity house that was broken down and had a condemned sign on it. God sent me there. God sovereignly told me to move to the region. God told me to buy the house. And I moved in and began to rebuild this house. Young people began to come to me and say, can we move in with you? And we would actually take their first two months' rent and use it to rebuild the room that they were going to live in. We got a creative God. As I walked that street, 
As I walked that street, uh, we opened up a prayer meeting in a Methodist church two blocks down the street. The pastor was a Pentecostal, glory to God. And uh, we were praying for revival. And she brought a Muslim man in to do an estimate for plaster repairs in this old 1912 church. As he walked in the sanctuary, something lifted him up. His crutch fell away. And his broken leg that was in a full body cast, he came down on it, no pain at all. God healed a broken leg. She called me that week and said, the man's coming next week to testify. He came to church holding half a cast and a crutch in his hand, wearing his little Muslim prayer cap, testifying how the Christian God had healed him. This is in direct response to those revival prayers. Now, the board of that church called Pastor Evelyn in and said, get that prayer meeting out of here, and we don't want stories like that spoken around here again bunch of old, unbelieving, crotchety men. We got a few of those in Maine. I think we got a few of those in Maine. I, I, I really do. I really do. So, so this is what I want to say. God spoke to me. He was laughing as he said it. He said, I will outlast the board. Okay? Now, if some of you are that old board, I want to give you warning right now. All right? Change is in the wind, and God will outlast the board. Okay? I love you. He was. He was. That church, 12 years I walked around that building, would lay hands on it and pray over it. I had a dog, so we went walking. And um, one day I met the new pastor there, and she said, well, nice to meet you, but we're down to 14 people. The bishop is closing the building, and he's going to sell it at the end of the month. This was 2013. I walked over, laid hands on the building, and said out loud, God, bring new life to this old building. The Harris Teeter grocery chain had offered a million dollars to buy the building and tear it down to build a parking lot. The Jewish synagogue across the street offered a million dollars to buy it, tear the building down, and build a parking lot. And the bishop said, no, this is a Christian church. It should remain a Christian church. My friend Dan Backens, senior pastor of New Life Church, heard about it the next week, went to the bishop, bought the building, did a million-dollar renovation, and then said, would my church, Big House Church, like to move into the building with us? And today we have 400 people that meet every Sunday night at 4 o'clock in that building with worship that's going through the ceiling. We've got worship leaders like your pastor, Jen, right here. You know, only we've got five teams of them. My son only does it once a month now. And it is moving and rocking and bringing revival to the region. Now, the ugliest house on the, church, on the street is my house. <laughs> Everything else, according to the prayer walks, has been renovated. And it's waiting, it's waiting, though, for hundreds of young people to come and become a school of ministry and a school of worship and a school of revival that is going to empower thousands of churches in the entire region where we live. See, now that's living your life by a vision. I can tell you there were dark days. My first house church blew apart. My worship leader was on Ritalin, and he went crazy and blew the church apart, and I was thinking of selling the house. And a young woman who had been in a tunnel going from Brooklyn to Manhattan on the day of 9-1-1 and had had a vision of two planes hitting the Twin Towers, and as she came out of the tunnel, the first plane hit. She turned her car around, went through the tunnel, straight back to Norfolk where she was from, and never went back. But she wrote me a letter and said, you're thinking of selling the house. Don't. The Lord says, I'm coming again in the spring. And in the spring, my son came to me and said, Dad, let's open meetings. And people came from all over the nation to those meetings. And then 
Years later, I said, son, you're going to be a pastor. No, dad, he's a beautiful singer-songwriter. No, dad, I'm going to write music. I'm going to have my band. I'm going to travel. That's it. And uh, I said, well, son, you're going to be a pastor. So three years later, he comes, okay, dad, I'm ready to be a pastor. And 10 years now, we have been ministering together. It's beautiful. The generations. Now, something happened here today that I want you to mark. The worship became prophetic. And Jen began to proclaim off of this platform. And then Quentin opened himself up to the presence. And he was walking back and forth here, glory of God all over him, and saying, Lord, whatever you want, your agenda, God, whatever you want. See, presence-based prophetic Christianity is where God is going. It's what makes God real to people. When God comes into the room, everybody knows God is here. The atheist knows God is here. The fundamentalist who doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit knows God is here. I've got people coming into my church. It's their last night before the divorce. They're being thrown out by their children the next day. And they're coming into the presence. And as they sit in the presence of God, he begins to move in their life and circumstance. And everything shifts and moves forward for them. And today, some of them are my intercessors who worship with me and intercede. Walk some circles. Pray some prayers. I have a prayer meeting I run from 7 to 9, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And as soon as I go back, we're going to open it up to five or six days a week. We have every month, the first Wednesday of the month, we do uh, a meeting that we call Fight Night. And in Fight Night, we worship straight through. And in the middle of the worship, we pray. And we believe God for the heavens to be rent. Rend the heavens, Psalm 145, and come down, O God. Touch the mountains so that they shake and they smoke. Then our sons will become like plants grown up in their youth. Our daughters will become like pillars carved to adorn the corners of a palace or a temple. Beautiful what God wants to do. He needs you older ones. Listen to me, you older ones. My wife and I 10 years ago were the only ones above the age of 50 in our church. And God spoke to me out of the mamas and the papas. Remember the mamas and the papas? All the fields are brown. All the skies are gray. I've been for a walk on this winter's day. I could leave tomorrow, but the preacher knows I'm going to stay. And the Lord said, I need the mamas and the papas to come and bring a testimony of the old revival. And I need for them to come and to stand and to pray. I find that most of my intercessors are older. I find most of the young people are the worship leaders and the worship teams. But God is blending the two together. This is the tabernacle that David set up in Jerusalem where the praise went 24-7 and the prayers went 24-7 and the prophecy went 24-7. Read the book of Psalms. It's the manual of the house of prayer. God is moving right now in every region in this nation and all over this earth. I had an angel come to me on December 30th, and he walked into my room in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, where I was staying. And he said, in the next 10 years, he said, the house of prayer in the earth is going to grow exponentially. It will become so powerful that it will shift governments and it will shift cultures all over the earth. And then he began to speak to me about nations that would become sheep nations. There are sheep nations and goat nations. Nations that will truly follow God and nations that will butt, butt, butt their heads against the Lord all the way until the end. Our job is to be an engine of intercession. We do it in our praise and we do it in our prayers and we do it in our closets. We do it in open And let me ask you to do one thing in answer to what Quentin has said, and I'll stop here. Pray for divine appointments. 
I found that when I pray for divine appointments, somehow in the grocery store, somehow at my work, somehow I just connect. I connect with now. Now you're saying, "Oh, brother Jerry, you're a prophet. You should be able to see here any time." Well, guess what? Sometimes I'm deaf, dumb, blind, and quite frankly, stupid. Okay, we all, uh, you know, you come under the anointing, and it's one thing. Out of the anointing, you're just Joe Schmo. All right. But when you pray and you ask God consistently for divine appointments, you will begin to encounter people. You will draw people. People will come to you. Conversations will open up. There will be the laying on of hands. Uh, In the Goodwill store two days ago in Belfast, I laid hands on a woman's foot. Oh, I see you've got a cast on your foot. Can I pray for your foot to be healed? Oh, please, yes, would you pray? Catholic woman doesn't know the Lord. Prayed for her for her foot to be healed. Who knows what God will do? God bless you. I love you. Buddy, I'm going to be nothing like that. So, <laughs> y'all, ready? y'all ready to switch gears? But I do want to tell you that I have read Circle Maker. And the thing that gives you hope in that book is... The man is very much like y'all. He moved into a very affluent area, and he was like, God, how can we afford to even set up an outpost here? And what God did for them through prayer, I mean, these coffee shops and the theaters that God's given them to preach the gospel, they're in primo locations, and people are coming from Capitol Hill to go. And also, another thing that happened that he didn't bring up that God wants me to speak to y'all is that coffee house now, you know, makes millions of dollars and funds their missions. And see, that's what God wants to do here, okay? I really, Quentin, when Pastor Quentin called me, he wanted me to share the word that I gave to the women, but he said only six men got to hear. (laughs) So he wants all the men to um, hear this. Let me start with this, because you'll begin to look at people differently. I should give y'all hope, because I was a... You know, a school teacher, but at the time I started walking with Christ, I was a stay-at-home mom with babies, and I had problems, and I needed solutions. Um, I kind of lived my life backwards. I um, was one of four children, and both of my parents died very young. My mother was 38. My dad was 58. So when my grandparents got older... They said, which one of you four grandchildren will take us and help us? And Paul and I got elected. But out of that experience, watching them die um, without Christ led me to the Lord. I always say in my testimony, they never took me to church, but they led me to Christ. I knew them very well. I spent every summer with them and outside of New York. They had a, I grew up on a farm in eastern North Carolina so I knew their values. I knew what they were all about. And to see them die without eternity was pretty uh, life-changing for me. And the women already heard all I said to God when my grandfather died. I came home, knelt down beside the bed, and I said, God, if you're real, I want to know about it. And he took me up on it <laughs> and sent me a real live wire spirit-filled Christian who led me to Christ, but she loved me for two years before she ever told me what the solution to my pollution was. 
So my whole salvation was birthed out of prayer. But this is the thing that the Lord, Bill, we were talking about you. You didn't even know it because Pastor Brian was, was kind of talking about this on Sunday. But you need to see the worth and value of every person that God brings into this community of believers. You know, we talk about being hurt by the church, but the church is not a building, it's people. And hurting people hurt other people. So we've got to get the people healed so they're not hurting other people. And part of the healing comes when you begin to see the worth and value and the significance, and this is the key word, the impartation that God has put in somebody else. Because nobody has the full counsel of God. God designed that on purpose because we were meant to bring our peace to a body to make a whole living epistle of the grace and love of God. And so impartation is when you are a courier and a carrier of established truth. And when you bring that to the table, you bring a divine shift. So the person that is receiving it comes up higher in God. In other words, I'm better because I know you. And I don't only know you, I'm known by you. And I have received the goods of heaven that God has put in your life. That is when you'll begin to come into unity and value one another where the commanded blessing of God will flow. Blessing is not enough. You need the commanded blessing of God where the believers are flowing in undiluted, unpolluted unity where heaven is flowing on earth. And so, Bill, I was telling them that what Pastor Brian was talking about, the reason why the building came together is because that is it peace and impartation that God has put in you and when you showed up and brought it to the table it made things work for the whole does it mean you know that's how you start getting unjealous where other people are not you know so the thing that the Lord showed me about this body and I'll speak it again today is there is greatness in the men in this body And if you don't feel like there is greatness in you, if you're sitting here today and you feel like a loser, God is not really affected by that because when he called Saul, Saul was killing Christians before he had a name change to fall. So see, when God's going to change your name, he's going to change your nature of what makes you live and move and have your being. And so when he gives you the change, you will start looking at how God's wired you and say, God, how can I bring that to the body of Christ and begin to glorify him and bring honor and glory to his name? And that's when you get serious about kingdom living. Okay? So how you grow into... Your greatness is living by design. Let me share this a little bit because I know that Paul and I have the impartation for this. And I told him the last night of conference what we were going to be praying for. And it just started, the women started coming up and asking me for this. You know, I am not underestimating what Pastor Quentin said. But I was in so much pain in my own life 
I didn't really feel like fighting the devil. The devil was in my house. So Paul and I have always uh, lived by this one sentence, work it at home first and then export it. And because I've kicked those devils out of my own marriage, my own house, my own children, my own generational line, and begin to walk in the blessings and the benefits of Almighty God, then guess what? When you come up with your devil, I not only have the authority to kick it out because there's no elevators in God. You only carry power and authority and where you have resurrection. Don't try to get out of your lane. You've got grace for your lane of resurrection. Romans 1, 4, resurrection authenticates sonship. And where you truly walk as a daughter of son, then you've got power from on high to change somebody else's life. And I know what my lane is. That's why you got to know what you carry. We're all couriers and carriers of heaven. But you've got a grace that I don't know about. I've got grace you don't know about. So this is what I will end with. When God created man and woman, we're different. Our identities is different. The method of your creation speaks to the nature of your ministry. Man was taken out of the earth, so he has an identity with what he does, where he works, what he's going to tell, what he's going to put his energy to. Woman was taken out of man, so she's got a heart and identity with the man that she is in covenant with. God has given her a God-given ability to facilitate relationship. Men, you know, the woman is more interested in the relationship with you than anything else. So this is how this works. Guys, if you need a barometer on how you're doing, I have learned this after 30 years of ministering. I don't even have to ask a woman what her husband's like because everything he's given and withheld or withheld is on her face. Because she is going to reveal you. There is no skipping grades. God designed her to be visible evidence of the glory that you carry in your own life. So Paul says to me all the time, all I have to know how I'm doing is just look in your face. And see, God did that. It's a check and balance. Okay, and so I said, the greatness in here starts with safe men. So I believe that every man that is facilitated with this body is going to see their identity with their job escalate. Come on, don't live below what God has for you. We serve a supernatural God. We serve a God that can pour heaven out on earth. You think you're, you're the tail? He wants to make you the head. You think there's not a door open? He is going to open a door you didn't know about. All money is is an idea. And so God wants to release the spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit is creative. 
He wants to create things you haven't seen, you haven't heard about, you don't know about. He's got provision for you you haven't seen. And when God's going to do something new, what will he do? This is his method of creation. He will speak it. So I speak greatness into the men first. Because if they get it, the women and the children will follow. It is God's design. My daughter got where she was in her 30s because her dad spoke it into her a long time before she got there. If your daughter and son know that they're prized and beloved in your heart, you know what it's going to do for them when they get out in the world. They can take a licking and keep on ticking. Because their worth and their value has not been set up to believe what the world thinks. They do their work unto the Lord and give the results to God. It is about, God, how can I do this? How can I be in this sphere of influence so you get the honor and glory? And I leave promotion, the benefits, and the blessings up to you, Almighty God. And I trust me, we have learned you cannot outdo him. He can work it up. And Paul will tell you, when I started hearing from God, he was without a job for a year. And we were sitting in Pittsburgh. And I saw him going to work. And by applying for jobs every day because his company closed their office and he came home and he said, I I said to God in my personal prayer time, I said, God, I got to have a word. Because, you know, if you have a word, you can stand. If you have a word from God, you can stand. So that's when I got a problem, that's the first thing I do is get a word. God, give me a word to stand on. And he was getting more and more discouraged every day. And I was in prayer, and God said to me, you're going to move to Wilmington, Delaware. And Paul came home from work. My pastor was training me to hear from God, and he said, the first thing you do when you think you hear something, tell somebody safe. (laughs) And I told Paul, I said, God told me this morning in prayer we're going to move to Wilmington, Delaware. He says, and this is for you women. He says, right, they just laid off 4,000 people. That is not one place we're going to (laughs) move. Two weeks later, I just want to tell you in the economy of God, two weeks later, he got three calls from three managers in DuPont. He said, we want you to come interview in Jacksonville, Florida, Seaford, Delaware, and Wilmington, Delaware. And I said, ooh, guess where we're moving. (laughs) And he went on three job interviews, and this is no joke. He says, I think you better come with me to Jacksonville, Florida, because that's out of the box. I don't know if you want to move to Florida. I said, I don't think so. They got alligators down there. Y'all going to roll when I tell you this. He said, Carol, there are no alligators where we're going to be. He's having the job interview, and I'm with the kids at the hotel, and we get out of the car, and there's an alligator. (laughs) And I'm like, speak to the hand, pal. We're not moving here. And then 
the realtors taking us around to look at neighborhoods. And I said, do you have alligators in those ponds? And she goes, oh, yeah, they'll eat those children. <laughs> she said, they certainly will. They, they, they'll they think they're a little dog or something. Because my kids were, well, I had one toddler back then. I mean, the same thing happened to us. We were on the plane recently, and I said to the guy, do y'all have alligators in any neighborhood? Oh, yeah, one of them dragged my neighbor out of the yard doing yard work. (laughs) And she was in the hospital for two months. I'm just like. So, to make a long story short, because, see, God had a plan. Paul took the job in Wilmington, Delaware. This is no joke. His Paul led his balls to the Lord in that job. And that man and his wife came to our Bible study every single week. And when he, um, when he gave him his bonus every year, he would write it out to my pastor, Paul. Yay, God. So, Paul, come, we're going to pray. We want to pray this greatness that God has shown us into the guys. And girls, don't feel left out. You'll get the trickle-down effect. <laughs> okay? I'm serious. He wants to shake this up. See, like, when Jerry was talking about this house, look, you're on a sitting gold mine for the kingdom of God. The people are coming in droves. The people are coming in droves. So you've got to say, God, God is what, what's the creative idea where we can connect heaven and earth? Do you know two reasons why people come to Maine is for the beauty and the water. The beauty of the Lord heals the pain of people's past. The beauty of the Lord will open up a brand new life to them. First the natural, then the spiritual. Are y'all ready for this? I'm going to try to say something. <laughs> and uh, you can see we have great joy in our, in our married life. And uh, a lot of ups and downs, but there's always joy in the end. So I want, you to, I want you to walk away from this time today knowing that God's in the whole process. Uh, a couple things I wanted to share about what I learned and being here this week with the uh, the ladies of the church and the men that were here uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday is that there are certainly are needs in, in each one of the individuals that came up for prayer time and the discussions that I've had with everybody. And I just thought it was uh, interesting because one of the prayers that I had was that uh, you've got to be more aggressive uh, and maybe that's a strong word, but then I heard Quentin's word about divine confrontation, and that probably sounded a little bit better. And uh, the message really is to confront what God has placed in your situation, not as something I can't handle, but something that God wants you to handle. That's the number one thing in your life that he wants you to take care of and, and take care of it in a loving way, confront the issue, it may involve some prayer and time, more so than you want to devote to it. But if you want the results, God's challenged you with something to uh, press in and make it happen. 
because he's, he's going to be with you during that whole process. So I'm going to uh, read a psalm. Because I told Carol that I'm going to read this psalm because God put it on my heart. There we go. That's better. And uh, it's Psalm 16. So when you're going through the confrontation process, uh, when you're dealing with, with the confronting uh, what it is that you want to pray about, uh, you want to do it in a loving way. Uh, you, you're going to use the tools that God's given you, uh, a discerning spirit. You're going to use uh, your prayer power, praying in tongues when you don't know what to pray anymore. So you pray in tongues to help figure it out. And uh, you have the equipping to accomplish what it is that you're confronting. And keep it simple. Take them one, time, one step at a time, one confrontation at a time. Don't try to take on ten confrontations at a time. And be successful. And I was here last Sunday, and, and that's when Pastor Brian was talking about uh, a warrior and a king. And what, what he's talking about is you're developing a legacy with God. Okay, so if you're a young person, you've got a confrontation thing that you're dealing with, and, and, and your, your warrior is helping you or your king is helping you and guiding you and giving you some mentoring tips in that process, you're building a legacy with God. So whether you're young, whether you're a warrior, whether you're a king, whether you're a sage, Jerry and I are sages now. We're learning about what sages are all about. So, I mean, we have, but we have something to contribute. So think of it in that terms that you're building a legacy with your Father in heaven. So I'm going to read Psalm 16. If you want to join me, this is the, this is the New Living uh, Standard and uh, translation. And it says, Keep me safe, O God. For I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. All the good things I have are from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Those who chase after other gods will be filled with sorrow. I will not take part in their sacrifices or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing, you guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. That, what a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs, instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy. And my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your godly one to not um, be in the grave. To rot in the grave. Sorry. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. So why I'm telling you that is there's going to be joy in what you're going to do. And if you didn't do it right the first time, Carol said you go back to ground zero again to start the process over again. So you didn't use the right approach. Maybe you weren't as loving as you should have been, for example, if his love basically handles the process of setting up the atmosphere in heaven to take and accomplish God's will on the earth. 
So try it again. That, that, that's my point. Your fallback is go back to Psalm 16 and know that he has basically created a safe haven for you and a refuge in him, and he will continue to get you through what you're challenged to deal with in your life and confront it in joy and love and happiness, and you'll get your reward. Amen. Okay. Well, I'm going to speak the blessing. You ready? Because there's going to be a divine shift. You hear me? Anybody that wants it is going to get it. Because I didn't trudge up here not to see God release heaven. And he said, on the men in this congregation. Now, women, you're not being left out. You're going to get the trickle-down effect. But I tell you, if you're a man here and you feel like a loser, you feel broken, you feel at the back of the row, the spirit and the hand of God's spirit is going to push you forward. Your life is about ready to change. Because, see, if you feel blessed and built up, then you've got something to bless and build somebody else up with. They're creative ideas. Here it goes. Father, I thank and praise you for every man in this building. In the name of Jesus, O Lord God. And Father, thanksgiving precedes the miracle, O Lord God. These women are going to see different men, O Lord God. Father, where they feel like they are just broken, O Lord God, where they feel like they've lost Lord, you're a God of a restorer. You're a repairer of the breach. Where they feel at the back of the line, I see the wind of your spirit pushing them to the front of the line. Father, where they feel like that nobody has ever said to them, they're prized and beloved in my heart. They're going to hear the Father heart of God speak to them. There are many teachers, but not a lot of fathers. And fathers can impart spiritual identity that it's true. And the truth is going to set them free. Oh, Lord God, regardless of anything that's happened in the past, oh, Lord God, I see some of you walking around in confusion and wandering. God's got the solution for that because the Spirit of God now is going to begin to hover and brood and move over you and bring form and fashion and life and life abundantly out of your situation, oh, Lord God. Father, you're infusing hope into these men like never before. Lord, I thank you. The ones that have been trying to figure it out are putting that on the altar today and say, God, you're a God of revelation. Now reveal some things to me that I need to know. That the spirit of the living God is releasing creative ideas how to make wealth, to be blessed, to be a blessing, to have power from on high, to make wealth so they can establish your covenant in the earth. That means practical ways that you can show others the blessing and the benefit of walking in covenant without Almighty God. And you're going to be a man walking around in a day saying, God did it all. God did it all. I tried. I was worn out. I was burned out. I was broken. But guess what? Now I'm whole. I get up every morning. I have hope. I have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living, and it has changed my life. And there is a new future ahead of me, a future, Lord, of blessing. 
And not only for me and my four, but you've got a heart, men, to be generational blessers. Where you're not just telling your own children they're blessed to be a blessing, but you're looking at other children and saying, hey, guess what? You're awesome, Austin, and God's going to use you awesomely for God. That you're going to have a heart for every child in this fellowship. That every child in this fellowship be blessed to be a blessing. And they're sent out, built up, and catapulted out with the fullness and the blessing of Almighty God. Father, I, I prophesy there's so much wealth coming into this body, oh Lord God, that there's going to be a college fund. There's going to be a fund that will send people to be trained, to learn trades, to go to college, to go to Bible school, that we're going to see to it that the Lord is seen in the children being raised up in this fellowship, oh Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that brokenness precedes the blessing. And out of this brokenness, you're going to be seen in a mighty way. There's a ram in the bush for Anchor Church. There's a ram in the bush. Turn around and look. The ram is making noise. And he's saying, this church is going to be changed from Saul to Paul. And Father, I thank you that the men are going to see practical evidence. You're going to be opening up things for them that they didn't even think about. And you're not only going to be opening, God, you're going to be creating some things. Creating some things. That everybody's going to be in their lane and not pushing and shoving, but the blessing is going to be for all. There are men in this church that are going to start having vision for provision, not only for practical needs, but for the uh, kingdom of God. So, Father, I thank you, O Lord God, that today is a day of turnaround. Today is a day of turnaround. And, Lord, it's not an accident that Jerry brought Circle Maker because y'all are going to be walking around circling, praying for places that a practical pocketbook could not touch. That if heaven didn't invade and bring it, oh, Lord God, you're going to give this church a practical outpost in this area, oh, Lord God, that is going to fund the mission of the vision of Anchor Church. Yes, Lord, it's not an accident. Thank you, Lord. And like Mark Batterson found out, it started with an altar. It started with an altar where you begin to dream again. Where the name of God is foundational because every place there is an altar, God is putting his name and where his name is, he causes it to be remembered and he comes behind it and he blesses it. So, Lord, I thank you, O oh Lord God, that you, if, if there are corporate needs, when you come to corporate prayer, you're going to get a breakthrough because you've positioned yourself to be in that corporate anointing. There are people in your midst that have private victories that bring them to a corporate expression and say, the enemy is no longer going to take away your possibilities. Father, I just thank and praise you, O Lord God, that this is a new day. I just hear Isaiah 43, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way in, in the desert, O Lord God. Father, we thank you that this is a destiny word for this church. And Lord, you are the one. You you're a good, good daddy and you're the great I am. And I am is the memorial name. It's the one about generational blessing. 
So, Father, I thank and praise you. I give thanksgiving over every single person in this fellowship. Now release the miracles, Lord. Now release the miracles, Father. Release the miracles, Lord. Release the miracles, O Lord God. Your miraculous power, Lord. Where they're parched for a drink, they're going to see an oasis. Where they've been parched for a drink, they're going to see an oasis. You're the good, good daddy and the great I am. Father, I pray that, that people will be walking around saying, You're a good, good dad and you're the great I am. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. And nobody is too small in this building to receive it all. Listen, listen to what your children are saying. Because they've re- received something from heaven. Thank you, O oh Lord God, that they're going to be speaking heaven on earth. There's nothing like the humility of a child to dismantle the pride of an adult. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father God, we receive. Let's just say this together. I receive receive the blessing. blessing. I receive the power. I receive the the wisdom. wisdom. I'm going to move forward forward. by the grace of God. And I'm going to glorify him when I do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a shout. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. So, (laughs) good stuff, right? So I, I asked these guys if they would be willing to hang around if anybody needs prayer today. So uh, we're going to go ahead and release everybody. We know we're running a little bit, a little bit behind. Thank you guys for hanging in there with us. And, um, man, just receive this. Let me, in fact, let me just say this. Re- remember that every prophetic thing really from God is an invitation. Okay? It, it's not, it's not a, an automatic thing. It's an invitation to come in agreement with Him. And so let's go uh, with a yes in our heart today. Let's leave with a yes in our heart. And let's leave with a, basically a prayer of agreement today for what God wants to do in our lives and corporately in Jesus' name. And be, and be willing to have the courage to shift in your own lives what, what needs to be shifted. Amen? So if you guys need prayer today, these guys are going to hang out. They're willing to pray for you. Uh, God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. Love you all. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.